Lord, I want to know you. I haven't heard that in a while. One of my all-time favorites. Lord, I want to know you, to know you in your death and resurrection, to know your power and your strength. Mm, that's good. With I surrender all, it just goes even better. So that's great. Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 8, beginning verse 31. We're going to look at one, well, two verses really. We'll read three, but we'll look at two and, and talk about those in light of, our, of coming to the Lord's table today. Today we will come to the Lord's Supper. We will celebrate that time together. We will meditate on that time together. We will examine ourselves during that time together. And we'll seek to just, just know a cleansing and a, and, a, and a time of communion and fellowship that is beyond human description as we come to that table. And I hope that's what it will be for you. But in looking at John's gospel, we looked last week at verse 31 primarily, and we asked what it meant to continue in his word. And we asked, uh, I said five questions, I changed it into four, and I had a ton of people say, there are only four questions you said about that. I said, well, we combined two of them. He said, you didn't tell us, they said, you didn't tell us that. I said, no, I just want to see if you're paying attention. So uh, there were five in there, but two of them were combined, so there were only four. So uh, anyway, we talked about what it means to continue. What does it mean to continue? What is his word? And what is that we're looking at to see that continuing taking place? What is, what's he talking about happening in our life when we continue in his word? He said, if you continue in my word, you abide in my word, you, you therefore prove to be disciples of mine. It's not a matter of raising a hand or walking an aisle, or even going through a baptismal pool that indicates that you really are a disciple of Jesus Christ. What indicates that is, are you continuing to walk in His Word? And His Word points to everything that He's taught, everything that He's said, indeed everything that He is. His Word points to Him. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. His Word is Him. And if you continue in Him and continue in His Word, He says, then you really are, you truly are, you absolutely are my disciples. And then in chapter, in chapter 8, verse 32, he expands on that a little bit and uses really one of the most quoted verses in all the world and many times quoted out of context and misquoted and misunderstood. Listen to verses 31 through 33 as I read those for just a moment. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Those who had believed him, back in verse 30, when it said, when he spoke in the temple in the, at the Feast of Tabernacles, many came to believe, and he recognized there was true faith and there was false faith among those who were there. And he wanted to differentiate and say, here's how you're going to know if what you have is really real, if it's really true faith, if you continue in my word. In verse 32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. We have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? This is the word of the Lord. May we hear it. May we understand it. May we apply it. There, there's one thing that's obvious here in, in verse 32 that I want us to look at as we come to this service and come to this Lord's table. And it's the whole concept of freedom. Jesus says, you shall know the truth, 
and the truth shall set you free, or the truth shall make you free. Now, there's several things that, that we fail to see here sometimes. Some people will pull that verse out and quote it as a standalone thing. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And they say, you know, if you find your truth, if you find your way, if you find what is true to you, then you'll certainly be set free. If you just kind of come along and you stumble upon something, you say, boy, that's my truth. I'm going to cling to it, and I will walk in freedom. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Verse 32 makes absolutely no sense, gives absolutely no assurance if it's not intrinsically and totally tied to, chapter, to verse 31. Verse 32 makes no sense at all apart from verse 31. Unless you understand that the truth he's talking about is just not some kind of subjective, nebulous truth that you might stumble upon or that you might claim for yourself, much as our culture does today. We know that. We live in a culture that doesn't understand truth. They don't want to know truth. They want to, they want to just say we've got to be tolerant of every truth and tolerant of everything. And as long as we are tolerant, then everything will be all right. Tolerance has become the new uh, uh, great uh, standard for our culture. Jesus is not saying that all truth is, uh, that claims to be truth is really truth. He's saying here's what truth is. Truth is my word. Truth is abiding in my word. If, if you come to abide in my word and know my word and live by my word and continue in my word, then that truth will absolutely and completely and totally set you free in every respect. And, and most of us look at that and say, well, we follow Christ. It seems like there's some binding. It seems like there's some limiting. How can that be true, true freedom? Well, part of the problem is that we don't understand in our culture, in our world, what freedom really is. The world has a view of freedom. Many in the church have a different view of freedom. And both of those many times are different from what Christ's view of freedom is. Let me tell you what I mean. The world's view of freedom is absolute, total, libertarian freedom. No restrictions, no guidelines, no, no, no uh, boundaries whatsoever. To the world, freedom is being able to do what I want when I want to do it, however I want to do it, and God or no one else telling me what to do. I mean, don't you see that? You watch television shows, you watch movies, you, watch, you read books, you, you find that, that is the, that's the whole concept of what they believe freedom to be. If I can just be set free from any kind of restraint, any kind of limitation, any kind of rules, if you will, then I'll be free. I'll be a free person indeed. And I will just go out and I will enjoy my freedom to the very hilt as much as I can. And I won't worry about what anybody else says or I won't worry about anything because I will have in that absolute libertarian freedom. That's really not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is not saying here that you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free to discard all truth. He's not saying you'll know the truth and you'll be able to just throw aside everything that I say. I mean, Jesus said some things that really do have some, some binding truth on our lives. And so, so we're not talking about the way the world sees freedom. But, but there are many in the church who see freedom in much the same way the Pharisees saw freedom. And we see our freedom as not being so free as it is to be bound by law, to be bound by certain restrictions. Many times there are man-made restrictions. Many times there are things that make us feel better or feel superior over other people. And we say, oh, well, we believe in freedom, but not so much. You know, I love what Luther said in his 
prayer one time in, in, in a discussion of, of freedom on his discussion of Galatians. And Luther said this. Luther said, you know, pray, trust Christ, and do whatever you please. Now, the libertarian would say, oh, man, that's great. All I can do is raise my hand, say I trust Christ, pr- say a prayer, and go out and live in any debauchery that I want to. That's not what Luther was saying. Luther was saying if you pray and you trust Christ, then Christ will so empower your life and so control your life that whatever you want to do will be what he wants you to do, what his will is for your life. And so if you're really praying and really trusting Christ, then go do whatever you want to because you're following him, you're seeking him, and you're trusting him. But many people in the church live like Pharisees. And we set up our rules, our do's and our don'ts, and we say, boy, if we live by these rules and and, and these uh, uh, bindings that man puts upon a person, then we can say that we're free because we're free within the confines of what we think freedom ought to be. Paul dealt with that. I think Paul gave us the greatest commentary on what Jesus is saying in John chapter 8 that you'll ever find. And, and, and you find that in, in the book of Galatians chapter 2 verse 16 where there Paul writes, we'll start back in verse 15, we are Jews by nature and not sinners among, from among the Gentiles. In other words, it says we, we feel really proud of ourselves because we're not like those Gentiles. Nevertheless, Knowing that man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no man, no flesh, no one will ever be justified. Paul says, I want you to understand something that you, you, can, you can talk about legalism, you can talk about laws and, and try to obey them and try to say, I'm going to be free to, to worship God because I follow all these rules and regulations. But Paul says, I want you to understand this. Law, legalism, uh, you know, do's and don'ts that man produces will never justify you in the sight of God. You'll never be able to say, I know God and I stand right with God because of what I do, because of how I can self-righteous, and I can do deeds that make me pleasing to God and make me acceptable to God. Paul said, I want you to understand, that will never happen because no man's ever justified by works of the law. I mean, look at the Pharisees. Jesus even said at one point uh, after the Sermon on the Mount and, and the, the, the disciples were looking at him saying, well, how, can, how can we do all this? How can we be that righteous? And he said, listen, unless you're more righteous then the Pharisees, you can't inherit the kingdom of God. And they thought about that, and I'm sure they thought, well, be more right. how can you be more righteous than a Pharisee? Why, they, they try their best. They do their best. They obey the law. Paul said to the Philippians, when I was a Pharisee, I obeyed the law, and nobody could point a finger at me and say I'd, I'd broken the law at any point. He said, I was, in the eyes of man, I was righteous. But when I came to know Christ, all those rules and all those, all those legalism and all those laws just sort of vanished and became like garbage, became like trash because I, na- I came to know the one who is truly righteous. I, the song that the choir sang, the anthem the choir sang, of course, if you've been around here long, you know that's one of my favorites. And I asked them to do that specifically today because of this text and because of this sermon 
We need to realize that the way we stand righteous, the way we stand justified before God is by His righteousness, clothed in His righteousness. Not having a righteousness of our own that comes from law or comes from legalism, but a righteousness that comes by faith in the only begotten Son of God. Righteousness that comes and freedom that comes by trusting Him and trusting Him alone not adding anything to it. So the world says we believe in libertarian freedom. You can't tell us what to do. You can't tell us how to live. Religion says, well, freedom is okay, but it's not all it's cracked up to be. We need to be sure that we can kind of restrict some things and bind some things. And so we'll give you a list of do's and don'ts. We'll tell you what is acceptable, what's not acceptable to be a good Christian. As long as you live the way we tell you to live, then you're all right. Paul said again to the to the Galatian Christians in chapter 5, verse 1, he said, listen, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Now, next week as we look at John chapter 8, Lord willing, we'll see what Jesus' response to those those Jewish leaders are, and those Jews who said, what do you mean we'll be set free? We're Abraham's seed. We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves to anybody. Right. We'll talk about that next week more in depth, what he says to them flowing out of that. But I want you to see that the world's view of freedom and religion's view of freedom many times is totally contrary to Christ's view of freedom. Jesus says, If you abide or if you continue in my word, you're truly disciples of mine. And if you continue in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Truly free. Really free. Free from the old nature. You see, we've got a problem As, as, as sons of Adam. Daughters of Eve, as it's put in the Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe with uh, C.S. Lewis's book. But, but, but we're, we're, we're sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. We're, we're, we have inherited this, this desire to, to be disobedient to God. And it's just there, folks. It's, it's a reality. You don't have to go far to see it. You can look at a little baby and see that a baby is so, so self-centered, demanding everything they want. I mean, that the, they're... they're uh, Edemic nature comes out very clearly. You can see it out on the streets of Somerset. You can see it in your own home, but even more you can see it in your own life. That if not encaptured by the truth, if not walking in the truth of God's Word, if not walking in the truth of Jesus Christ, why, why we, we will do all sorts of things. We will, we will be disobedient in all sorts of ways. Jesus says, I want you to know that if you're disciples of mine, if you're continuing in my word, if you're walking in my truth, if you you know my truth, know the absolute truth, know the truth of freedom in Christ, then the truth will set you free. It will make you free. You see, freedom in Christ is not freedom to do whatever you want to do. Freedom in Christ is being set free to do what you ought to do. It sets you free to be more like Him every day. 
It sets you free to know what reality is and what realness is and what truth is and to be obedient to it. Not because you, you try real hard and you grit your teeth and you say, boy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be righteous if it kills me. It will. That's the way you're trying to pursue it. But it's freedom that comes from being clothed in the righteousness of Christ being set free. We got some folks here at church that either used to work for or still work for the railroad. And and if you ask any of them when is a when is a, a, a train engine most free, it's not when it's out in the middle of a field, just sitting there in the mud. As a matter of fact, if it's sitting there in the mud, it's absolutely captivated. It's absolutely enslaved. It can't go anywhere. It's most free when it's on the rails. It's most free when it's within the the confines of truth. It's within the confines of what it's made to be for, and it's traveling down those rails. It can go anywhere it can go. It, It can go with freedom. It can go with power. It can go with speed. But you take it off the trail, off the rails, off the 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 will, if you will, of, of, of its creator, and it's bogged down. It's causing all sorts of calamity. We were created to walk in the image of Christ. We who are redeemed are clothed in his righteousness so that we can live in accordance with that righteousness. It's, it's alien to our nature. If you've been in the Wednesday night theology study where we're talking about the great exchange, our sin to Christ and Christ's righteousness to us, that that is a major transaction. There really is. I mean, we got out of that something that we don't have naturally, righteousness. And, and he got something in it, and, and if you will, got the short end of the deal on it because he got something in it that he didn't have naturally and he didn't deserve our sin, but it's his righteousness and knowing his truth that sets us free. So what Jesus is saying here is, listen, if you are walking in my word, if you are continuing in my word and you are my disciples, you'll know this truth, this truth of who he is. Later he'll say, I am the truth. If you'll know me in an intimate way, and the truth, my truth, the only truth, the real truth, as as Francis Schaeffer said, the true truth, in a redundant manner, will set you free. Nothing else will. Everything else will enslave. Everything else will get you so wrapped up in self that it's enslaving. You see, this freedom gives you the freedom to minister to other people. This this freedom that comes from walking in the truth and knowing His truth gives you the freedom to care about somebody besides yourself or, or your immediate family even. This freedom that comes from knowing the truth gives you a freedom to say, listen, I will be recklessly abandoned to sharing the gospel, to sharing the truth. I'll be set so free that I will be, I will be careless, if you will, of my own protection in order to do what Christ has called me to do. That's what real freedom is. It's not freedom to do whatever you want to do. It's freedom to do what you ought to do. 
It's freedom to do what he's made you to do. It's freedom to do what he's called you to do that in your own strength, in your own power, you can't do. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you're my disciples, truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Here's my question as we get ready to come to the Lord's table to take the bread that represents his body that hung on the cross, and and we take the the juice, the fruit of the vine that represents his blood that was shed on that cross to open the way for our relationship with God. A cleansing blood, a purifying blood. A blood that was required for our sins to be forgiven and also required for his righteousness to be given. So we come to this table and think about that. My question is this, are you free? Are you free from libertarian ideas of freedom? Are you free from legalistic ideas of freedom? Are you free in Christ to be what God has created you to be and do what God has created you to do? In Christ, you don't have to sit down. I don't have to lay down a set of rules for you. I just encourage you to pray and trust Him in everything you do and then go do what you want to do because you'll be doing what He's called you to do. You're walking in Him. As, as we come to this table, I ask you to think about His body and His blood. That was no small thing there. Where He was giving Himself for your redemption. Where He was dying that you might live. Where He was dying that you might be set free and might be given freedom in Him. Freedom that's unlike anything, any freedom that the world could ever talk about. Freedom that's real. Freedom that's free. Freedom that takes sinful man, sinful woman, and sets them free to reflect the glory of God. Do you know that freedom? I encourage you today. You're here and you're not a believer. That's fine. We're glad you're here. But as as we pass these elements, if you're not a believer in Christ, I ask you just to let them pass by. I ask you to think about what they mean. That body was given that you might be saved. That blood was shed that you might know God and have relationship with Him. I I ask you to to think about that, but just pass the elements by. Let them pass you by. And consider what Christ has done. Consider trusting Him. If you're here in a believer, whether you're a member of grace or not, if you're you're a baptized believer in Christ, I, I invite you to come and to the table, but I don't ask you to, I ask you not to do it casually. I ask you to do it ponderingly. Pondering what those elements mean and pondering where your life is. Am I free in Christ? Am I being what He's called me to be or am I just kind of playing a religious game? I don't know. You, you can only answer that yourself. But as we come to this table, 
Consider what Christ has done. Consider who Christ is. And consider his work in your life. Let's bow together as we pray. And as we are praying, as those who will serve this meal come to prepare themselves, Paul said to the Corinthian Christians, when you come to this table, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves to see if you are of the faith. Come and ask the Lord, Lord, have I been set free? Am I free? Am I free in Christ, in Christ alone? Father, we are grateful this day for your grace, for your love. Father, we are grateful this day for your work in our lives. Fathers, we take this bread and take this fruit of the vine. We ask you, Lord, to draw our attention to Calvary and to the empty tomb and to the price that was paid for our salvation. Father, we thank you in Jesus Christ's name. And you continue to pray as we prepare to serve this to you. He took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you as a sacrifice, as a substitute. In your place, taking your sin in his body that he did not have any of, that we might live. Then he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Whereby your sins will be forgiven. And you will know God, have relationship with him. Then he blessed it and passed it out. Father, we ask your blessings on this bread and on this juice. We ask, O oh Lord, that you will, you will, by your Holy Spirit, shine a searchlight into our life as we take of this meal. Father, show us our sin, cleanse us of it, and use us, O oh God your truth in this community. Thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. 
For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He predestined, He also called. And these whom He called, He also justified. And these whom He justified, He also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over, how will he not now also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God who intercedes for us, who will separate us from the love of Christ, will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor, nor any other created thing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The Word of God says He took the bread and He said, This is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat it and do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup, and he said, this is my blood. This is the blood of the new covenant. I love how Jeremiah in the book of Hebrews describes the new covenant, that your sins will be forgiven, you will know God, and and you will be given this freedom that comes from being in him because of the blood of the new covenant that's shed. He said, this is my blood. It's given for you. Take and drink it and do this in remembrance of me.
in a moment as we leave, we'll do what we always do on the Lord's Supper Day. And that is we'll take up a, a Karis offering at the, at, outside the door. We call it a pocket change offering. Uh, that goes for the just meeting needs of church members and our family. We've had some been hit hard lately. And uh, we've been able to help them because of, of your gifts above and beyond the budget to the Karis offering. And, and so you'll have an opportunity to do that again today. The scripture also says that they, after they had done that, on that in that upper room, they sang a hymn, and then they went out. I think there's no more appropriate hymn to sing than Amazing Grace. And then attached in that addition to it, in, in the more updated version of My Chains Are Gone, I've Been Set Free. Exactly what we're talking about today. So would you stand with me as we sing this hymn together as a hymn of commitment, hymn of invitation? As God leads in your life, you be obedient to all that he's saying and come as we sing.